0: The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over – The Process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. In this episode of The Process, we talk with Robin Cox. Robin Cox is a musician, multidisciplinary collaborator, and technologist addressing intersections of acoustic and electronic sound, visual media, and new listening methods and environments. He's also directed the Robin Cox Ensemble in over 170 performances, three CD productions, and numerous premieres of works by other artists. He has created the large-scale community dance participation event Hourglass, co-invented an immersive audio-video performance venue called Big Tent, produced mixed-media concerts as director and founder of Iridian Arts, and serves on the faculty with the Department of Music and Arts Technology at IUPUI.
1: Uh, I know there are composers that say, I work every day from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and then I go and go to the grocery store and do the mundane tasks of life. Uh, You know, more power to them. As a matter of having that best thought of the day, I don't find that I can corral it quite like that. I do have a tendency to work in the evenings more than any other time, but I can't say that's a concerted effort to do so, and yes, I have gotten out of bed at 2 a.m. to write something down. I like to think I try to leave myself open 24-7 to an idea, and I'm afraid if I think in that 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. mode, then I'm going to do well by the craft of it, but I'm not sure what the ideas are going to really feel like in, uh, through their individuality.
0: So I had a question. I-, I wonder where you even start, because you've been a new music ensemble director. You've been a curator of radio and internet radio programs. You're a violinist. You're also an educator. So where does your creative process start? Is it you pick up the violin and start fiddling away? Or where does it all start? Yeah,
1: it's almost never with the violin. Interesting. Very occasionally. But even if it is from the violin, I come back to be composer after the fact, but not while I have it. For one thing, violin is such a... Um, logistically complex instrument it's very hard to pick that up and put it down pick that up and put it down so just as a matter of that it's just too inefficient Uh, but I try not to think in performer mode if I'm creating something what I fear is that I'll write music that's easy for me to play that's uh, ergonomic to a fault a smart musician years ago I think when I was a grad student Uh, I was listing off the various things I did by category. He said, just stop it. You're a musician. Leave it there. And to me, there was a real lesson in that, that I didn't need to think so hard about uh, subcategories within the medium itself. Um, So how do I start? Uh, I work sporadically. There are months at a time when I haven't actually committed a note to paper or committed a note to DAW, so to speak, in the digital medium. But when I get into a place where I think I have a number of days or weeks I can work forward rather consistently, which isn't all that often, then I'll sort of open that gate. Uh, Or I'm like so very many people, it's very hard for me to move forward on anything unless I have some external impetus to do it. Someone's asked for a piece. I have some deadline. There's something there to, to cordon off part of my brain to a very specific objective. Uh, when all things are possible, it's very hard to do anything. I don't think I'm that unlike so very many people that work in the creative area.
0: You mentioned a little bit about idiomatic writing for the violin you want to challenge yourself as a performer. You want to be writing music that is, is sort of challenging to the performer and just not something that you can play. So is writing idiomatic music, is that a real important part of your process when you're creating? Do you want to write something that sits well on the instrument you're writing for?
1: I do, but I do think of myself, to contradict my previous statement, I do think of myself in the composer model first, not the violinist. Uh, model. So I tend to th- think beyond and outside of my playing it or that uh, it's for the violin much of the time. I'm trying to keep those thoughts at bay, really. Um, I, I Just like with my students, I think, you know, I'll say that I think the hardest instrument for you to be creative for, not as a matter of crap, but just interesting ideas, is for the ones you know the best. Uh, so... Uh, you know, with a young student, I'll ask them to write for anything and everything that isn't an instrument they already have a degree of technique for, because I think you get wedded to the way you're supposed to do things. Uh, it can be really inhibiting.
0: Yeah, I think for the traditional composer, the idea of you know the piano being the center of composition for for some mm-hmm. composers, and you know having to move away. Well, why don't you try this next piece where you're not using the piano? Or I'll,
1: I'll say. Um, tra- you know, Try to think of this as someone just invented the piano, and they're coming to you to write the very first piece for it. Mm-hmm. What would you do?
0: Chopsticks. Now, it, it, Chopsticks. Yeah,
1: okay, well, that's you done. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would do nauseous thing, but I'm not sure anybody <laughs> yeah. even knows what that means now. Uh, I think that's an easy, it's easy to say as a thought experiment. I think it's very hard to accomplish, but it, sure. I, I'm trying to send, send the signal there uh, mm-hmm. to try to unwed yourself from all the things you're supposed to do that can just only shut you down.
0: piece like Start, how did that begin? Was it that a 2 a.m. in the morning idea? Was it something when you had one of those long stretches of time to work on? How did how did that begin?
1: Well, this isn't the most romantically inspired. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was I was short a piece for uh, some oh, of performances. Course. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> I mean, it really was as simple as that. It's, yeah. I didn't have enough minutes. Sure, There's two versions of that piece. In the first sure. version, I'd say uh, 80, 85% of that was done in 48 hours. Sure. Uh, and then there's finishing work. Uh, I did do a significant revision a uh, year and a half later to it, uh, but in terms of the nuts and bolts of it, the rhythms, the pitches, they're pretty much the same as where they first first were. So I I like, a, a, with a lot of pieces, uh, it begins on a motivic level. There, there was a motivic idea uh, that is what comes in, I don't know, about a minute into the piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that has a certain uh, repetition to it, working with that idea is where it started from. Now, what usually happens is I'm not interested in something from just a single motivic idea, but it's usually after I'm jotting things down on paper or working at a keyboard, not the violin, but usually the keyboard, actually, when two things seem to be interesting in juxtaposition, that's when the piece will often appear to me. It's like, okay, now I know what I want to do. So I'll often collect motivic figures, if I, if I have a method, that's sort of the doodling at the piano kind of concept of short, little ideas. And then when I see at least two of them that could be wor- working with each other or against each other, um, either literally or one after the other, that's usually where uh, suddenly I've got the idea for the way forward.
0: When you say you're just collecting these sort of uh, motives or these small little ideas— are, are they all related inherently? Because you're kind of just always thinking about those in the back of your mind? Or is it as if you're just sampling drum breaks in a recording or an album? Are mm-hmm. you are you kind of doing the same thing? No. Let me sample that for, for later if I need it.
1: Usually if it's too much later, then I'm not interested. Yeah. Uh, but I do think if I'm generating ideas within close proximity to each other within a matter of days, that on some level they are related. I may not know what that relationship is in that moment. I may not know for months. Uh, But I think uh, there is is some reason why that juxtaposition, as I spoke of before, spurs me forward or makes sense. Because, yeah, I do think there's some process going on in your brain that you're not consciously aware of that's somehow sorting things out for you. And you may only see those relationships well after the fact.
0: If this is a very intuitive process, if it feels—and I'm not allowed to say the word organic, apparently. um, (laughs) no, There's there's
1: a meter, and if you hit five, I walk out of the room. Okay, so that counts as
0: one. That's one. That's the first organic. Oh, I just said it a second time. Ding. So does that actually stop your process if you're saying, you know what, I'm thinking about this too much?
1: Oh, absolutely. Usually the best possibility for a thought that I wish to keep and is useful to me longer term is at the very beginning— of sitting down to think about it in the day. It's that it's that first pass. And then, um, s- sadly, the more passes I take at something, I feel like I'm diminished in a certain sort of way. That, that That's not a hard and fast rule. There are times when I don't feel like I'm anywhere for 10 minutes and I'm about to just walk away, which is a smart thing to do a lot of times, and then all of a sudden something happens and I don't even realize it, but it's an hour later. Sure. And for me, that's sometimes how why it's hard to verbalize the process of it all cuz i do end up in that flow state where you know i'll spend an hour working something out and i can't really tell you after the fact how i ordered those de- those decisions within that that period of time but i'll get suddenly very productive for you know 20 minutes half hour or an hour <laughs>
0: You came up with this motive, this idea for start, and uh, it sort of happens after that up bow kind of da 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 that sort of happens at the start, and then we get into this idea, which was the core. In your process, how do you then uh, extend that idea? How do you flesh that idea out? Is it through improvisation? Is it through just... I look at the component parts. I look at what have I got, and then what can I do to it? If I,
1: if I play with it in terms of uh, interval relationships of pitch... If, if I change durations of the rhythm, if I turn it upside down, backwards. All, I, I'm not saying I'm as methodical as, say, a uh, fugal counterpoint exercise sure, where sure. I'm literally you know, putting a lot of four-syllable words to what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not one to write the word retrograde on any piece of paper. <laughs> Good. But I am, I, it is a process of working out variations. Sure. And so in other words, I'm, after step one, step two, I get very analytical. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at how can I manipulate this and extend it um to the nth
2: degree
0: So, how do you feel about uh, economy when you're when you're using a motive? Does it do you have to do you have to repeat it so many times? Do you have to make sure that you completely flush it out, or can you move on to something else?
1: I think that goes back to the best thought of the day, maybe the first one you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have the best sense of structure and relationships of time, uh, and when something really has played itself out by that first thinking of it th- th- through. Uh, I'll make myself sit there, and whether I'm looking at notes on the paper or I'm listening to MIDI playback, whatever it is, and I'll I'll make myself listen to it in full through as if I'm actually you know um, uh, an audience member for this. I used to actually uh, I would sneak into a performance hall mm-hmm. and I'd sit there in the audience, and I and I would and I would just kind of look at the stage and think through a piece in structure. Start to finish in in that environment to try to get a sense of time relationships,
0: and is this going to work in a live setting? Is this going to make sense? How is the uh, audience going to interact with it? Yeah, I I spend a lot of time thinking
1: about structure. I don't do it in a formulaic way that I have templates, but I but I do concern myself with that a lot, and it's often my frustration with uh, music I hear, um, particularly you know of the last ten or twenty years. Is that it doesn't seem like there's been there's much concern for um, the the macro structure of the piece so much as it's just establishing an idea or a concept and letting it unfurl. There are composers that I admire that 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 works fine for, but uh, but I, I'm I'm interested in creating something that feels like it was inevitable two minutes after something else.
0: Uh, well, it's almost the concept of track by track, uh, drop the needle listening of today versus the right. con- the album concept that it's this larger, or, larger piece.
1: Or I think, you know, we're in an environment where much of our music making is, uh, we're, we're we're passive to it. Sure. It's there, but it's not the primary activity we're involved in. We're driving a car, we're sure. eating lunch or sure. something else where there's not really a sense of beginning, middle, and end to the music. There's a beginning, middle, and end to the that other activity. Sure. And we're... we're our live is structured around that at the moment. So I think that leaves less um, on the music to provide sort of that point A to point B. But I'd still like to have that more cloistered music experience where uh, there is a sense of getting from one place to another, or that sense of you can you remember what was happening two or three minutes previous and it made this other thing inevitable for it.
0: Do you feel then your creative process is sort of beholden to the, the audience experience? Is that, that's something that I'm inferring, is that, do you you feel when you're writing, do you often say to yourself, well, how is the audience, how is this going to affect the audience sitting? Do do you even envision the audience sitting and listening to your pieces? Not sitting. I mean, I know better at this
1: point. (laughs) I mean, frankly, I don't think a a recital hall, you know, can of sardines of people was ever... (laughs) Uh, you know <laughs> the best listening environment, sure. but it's it's not even that relevant anymore for most people. So yeah. I'm not sure I'm thinking yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but I still want to hold on to the idea that someone's actually first and foremost listening. It, it's a listening experience first and foremost. It's not simply environmental soundscape.
0: So where is your where is your audience listening to your music? Where where would you like them? Where do you envision them listening to your music? So they're not sitting down in a concert hall in a stuffy concert hall, right? wearing furs and all that
1: right and and i don't want to do that yeah. uh i have a hard time sitting and listening to music for an hour anywhere Wait, don't, you don't
0: want to wear furs or you don't want to sit uh, in a concert hall
1: is it fake fur, <laughs> fake fur. <laughs> because i still have a lot of friends in california so i have yeah. to be careful you, in this right territory. Yeah, i don't want to get you in this trouble is, yeah, yeah yeah okay um,
0: so who where is your audience are they standing at uh, a bar or a club drinking a beer listening to your music are they at home in a you know with a ten thousand dollar stereo listening <laughs> to your music? Uh,
1: I don't know, and I don't know. I, I'll put this. I don't think there is enough of a target in that respect to actually work towards it. I think it is a little all over the map, whether it should be or not. Uh, I think ideally, it's folks sitting on a comfortable couch, probably drinking something adult or otherwise. <laughs> An adult beverage. Um, yeah, it could be Starbucks. <laughs> um, and that it's not too very loud around them. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel like they've had to commit to two hours to listen to the five minutes before them at that moment, that there's a certain casualness to it. Mm-hmm. But yet yeah, it's a decent listening environment at the same
0: time. I think it's it's only important if you think it's an important part of your process and do you think that consideration of who your audience is and how they'll be experiencing it do you think that's a big well, part of your process
1: I don't I don't work to make complex music sure I, I, I really I'm um, um, not enthralled by the idea of the, the better music is is the more um, a deeply intricate um, taxing music sure. that said the things that do interest me see I would like to think naturally have amongst all the repetition uh, a lot of minute variations in rhythmic and, and pitch relationships, mm-hmm. and that if you are just very casually listening while you're jogging, or you're crossing a street, mm-hmm. or you're fixing dinner, mm-hmm. that's probably not going to work for you very well. I think for my music to work, someone's going to have to give give over most of themselves. To, to get it, mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm trying for an, a, an elitist approach in that regard. It just seems the things I'm most interested in have a certain filigree to it mm-hmm. um, that uh, that takes pretty direct listening. <laughs>
0: Join us next episode when we talk with Robin Cox about his piece, Square Feet. He tells us how it was put together, how the performers perform it, and how audiences should interpret it.
2: Thank you.